0: Dot .com Thanks for spending time with me and let's go into the show. I'm excited to announce that we just launched my new book, The Fasting Transformation: A Functional Guide to Burn Fat, Heal Your Body and Transform Your Life with Intermittent and Extended Fasting. If you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that I'm a huge advocate of fasting. And in this book, I take you on a journey to help you understand how fasting helps balance your blood sugar and improve your insulin sensitivity, how it shuts down inflammation in the body, how it optimizes your hormones, turns on fat burning and activate stem cells for deep cellular healing. Guys, I go through how fasting, I go through all the best science and research on intermittent and extended fasting and how to utilize it to help prevent or even heal from cancer, autoimmune conditions, digestive disorders, and neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Guys, the book goes over all the various research and practical applications for daily intermittent fasting, partial fasting, and extended fasting. This book is designed to help inspire and empower you to embrace a fasting lifestyle, while also enjoying tasty and healthy foods at the right time to improve your metabolic flexibility and energy efficiency. So you can burn fat for fuel and have all day energy, you are going to love this book. So check it out. You can get it on amazon.com. We also have a website, drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. That's drjockers.net forward slash fasting transformation. You can learn more about it. And of course, you can pick the book up on Amazon, you're gonna love it. Thanks so much, guys. So this interview is a part of a series I did called the fasting transformation summit. And in this summit, I interviewed the top experts in the world when it comes to intermittent and extended fasting and autophagy and self healing. Now, these interviews were originally done in 2019. But the information is extremely relevant today. And this expert, as you will see, really has a great knowledge of this topic, and will give you guys so much value. Now, if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment and leaving us a five star review your reviews help us reach more people and impact more lives with this podcast. And take a moment and subscribe to our channel. That way you get instant notification every time we put up a new podcast. Thanks so much for doing that. And I'm honored to share this information with you guys.
1: Well, welcome everybody to the Fasting Transformation Summit where we're uncovering the most ancient, inexpensive and powerful healing strategy known to mankind. We're talking about fasting. It's something our ancestors did. It's something really, I mean, up until this generation, we've practiced on a regular basis, whether we wanted to or not. And what we found with research is that there's powerful healing benefits to time restricted feeding and also to prolonged fasting. And so I'm your host, Dr. David Jockers. And today we're going to talk about fasting and its impact on the microbiome. So we know that the gut plays such a significant role in our overall health. So we're going to go into really what what, what role nutrition, and then of course, not eating, fasting, and how that, uh, how that impacts our microbiome. And so I brought on a good friend of mine who happens to be a specialist in the microbiome. This is Mike Mutzel, and he wrote a great book called The Belly Fat Effect that I would highly recommend to anybody that's out there listening. It's called The Belly Fat Effect. Really great book. Goes into a deep dive on the microbiome. Talks all about weight loss resistance and how we can impact our gut in order to help us burn fat for fuel and, and uh, optimize our lean body tissue. And he also has a great podcast and YouTube channel that I subscribe to, and it's called High Intensity Health, uh, where he interviews people all around the world that are experts in fasting, keto, uh, microbiome, and, and, and functional medicine as well. And so, Mike, welcome
2: to the Fasting Transformation Summit. Dr. Jockers, thanks, so, thanks so much for the opportunity. It's great to be with you. We've had two amazing videos over the past couple of years. And I'm super grateful to call you a friend and uh, learn from you, continue to learn from you and, and all of the great work that you're doing. So, honored to be here.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for being a part. And how, tell, tell everybody how you really got, got started with functional medicine and, and what interested you in the microbiome.
2: Yeah, really good question. Um, like many people, I had health issues. Uh, my kind of my foray into this was through overtraining in college. I wanted to be a pro cyclist. Don't ask me why. I just this was back when Lance Armstrong was on the Tour de France, and my dad was really into it. Uh, started racing for the uh, school bike team, the college bike team, and was training 20, 25 hours a week, and got really depressed, tired, had a lot of GI issues, constipation, diarrhea, and so forth. And I kind of knew that I was overtraining, but I went to the school doctor and said, hey, I feel really like lightheaded. Every time I stand up, I get dizzy. What's going on? And she's like, you know, Mike, you're probably just depressed. It's your senior year. You're a pre-med student. Why don't you just take an SSRI? And I'm like, I really don't think that's the issue. So anyway, I went back to the medical research, typed in overtraining syndrome, and I found like this whole list of Endocrinology and gastrointestinal complications, and athletes that are overtraining. I was like, it's so weird that this doctor wouldn't tell me about this. Anyway, so I just realized there was a chasm there. Uh, through a little bit of serendipity, started working with an integrative medical doctor right after I got into college. Uh, after college, got into a sales gig working for a functional medicine supplement company. So got really exposed that way. And in my foray into the microbiome was through. Uh, one of the medical assistants at Gerard Guillory's office, this integrated physician that I was working with, so I can get some hours and some volunteer work um, in order to go to med school. She lost. She underwent gastric bypass surgery or bariatric surgery. Lost. Gosh, I want to say it was like 200 pounds or 250 some odd pounds within the matter of like 120 days. Didn't change her diet, which was really interesting because. I you know, I thought like the doctors would tell her to change her diet, so she was still kind of eating some of that junk food, but but lost the weight. And I thought there's got to be more to this than just restricting uh, how much food someone can or can't eat via the procedure. So I went to the med school library. I love researching and all that. And I'm like trying to figure out the mechanism of action of gastric bypass surgery. And, and who would have thought that it changes the microbiome? It reduces uh, endotoxin exposure that we can talk about. Uh, it alters the gut hormones. These are the satiety hormones that are actually upstream of insulin signaling of leptin signaling and all the different satiety hormones. So I was like just amazed that this medical intervention, gastric bypass or bariatric surgery really didn't have anything to do with like calories in calories out so much. It was more about this metabolic effect. And I thought, okay, well, you know gastric bypass is very expensive it's very invasive it's irreversible probably not something that people should go out and just we should all be doing uh what what are the natural ways that we can mimic this metabolic effect and it turns out things like exercise just chewing your food eating food with people you care about being grateful taking deep breaths like all the things our grandparents taught us to do you know and mom taught us to do when we were growing up probably but we're not doing anymore um, even the time of the day, and we can talk about this, and it, when it comes to circadian mm. rhythms and timer shifted feeding and so forth, tends to ha- tends to um, affect these gut hormones, affect the composition of the microbiome, thereby kind of mimicking that metabolic effect. So, yeah, that's how I got into it, and I was just blown away by that. And I thought, you know what, I just want to keep diving into this, you know, uh, research rabbit hole, and then interview people and share that with doctors because, in my sales rep position, I realized that doctors are so busy in their clinical practices. Mm managing insurance, managing the overhead, they didn't have time to go look into the research. And I thought, well, what if I can be a conduit to these practitioners and give them information that they're too busy? Because they're, they're spending a lot of time. Like, as you know, as a functional medicine practitioner, yeah. sometimes visits are 90 minutes, right? And back to back. And and mm-hmm. so that's kind of, I feel like my life's work and that's what I do. And here I am. So Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so you know let's talk about the microbiome obviously you wrote the, this book so you you started studying the gut health and um, its impact on our metabolism and you just got really really deep into it and you wrote this great book the belly fat effect and so uh, that's where you really define the microbiome and its impact on our health and so can you do that for the listeners here
2: yeah well um, there's the Human Microbiome Project. Well, if we go back to like 1999, 2000, we all heard about this, the Human Genome Project. And it, it was touted to be kind of the, the answer to health. Like as long as we know what genes we have, we can figure out if we're going to be predisposed to Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease, cancer. And we were, there was a lot of disappointing results Uh, from the Human Genome Project, because once we figured out the genes, we realized, well, there's this whole other field called the epigenome, and that's how the environment interaction, which tells our genes to be turned on or turned off and so forth. And then we came across this organ that a lot of traditional doctors, integrative medical doctors, uh, chiropractors, naturopaths, if they went to school before, say, 2012, didn't even really learn about this this organ now that's as metabolically active as our liver, which, as a side note, our liver is the most metabolically active organ we have. So our microbiome has more metabolic activity than our most metabolically active organ, which is crazy. And so our microbiome, this this newly discovered organ, uh, you know, there's this big initiative back in 2012 about the Human Microbiome Project, and this was, you know, really a, a multi nation study. Still ongoing, where researchers are so trying to figure out how bacteria affect our health. And so, um, when I, I just started diving into that research, and, and what we now know is that without our gut bacteria, uh, we would not absorb some of the nutrients that we get from the food that we eat. Um, you know, all the different hormones that we think about testosterone, growth hormone, uh, cortisol you know, the, our microbes can synthesize and make any of these compounds. I know you've talked a lot about the ketogenic diet, and talk, we'll talk about ketones and fasting here shortly. Uh, the main ketone body, beta hydroxybutyrate that's made by our liver, uh, our microbiome make a very similar molecule called butyric acid, and it's so structurally similar and some there's some research suggesting that it may interconvert you know butyric acid made by our gut bugs to beta hydroxybutyrate and so forth. so yeah, our microbiome i mean it's indispensable uh, in terms of like optimal health, and what we now know is Individuals that are born via C-section have different microbiomes and children that are born naturally through the vagina of their mother. Uh, children that aren't breastfed and have infant formula have altered microbiomes, and therefore they're more predisposed to different diseases. Everything from atopies, skin disorders, autoimmunity, depression, dementia, I mean, the list goes on. But I think for most of the listeners, what's really interesting about the microbiome is the alterations that are linked with obesity. And weight gain and insulin resistance. And so what was really surprising to me, you know, having a master's degree in nutrition kind of as part of the story we didn't get to talk about, I didn't want to share all the details, but I earned this master's degree in nutrition and we were kind of taught in nutrition that you have high calorie, high sugar foods, those raise blood glucose, and then your pancreas responds by, you know, raising a lot of, by releasing insulin to lower the glucose. But what we now know is when you eat those high-calorie, high-processed foods uh, that are associated with the Western diet, you actually perturb your gut microbiome and cause low-level inflammation, leakage, also known as intestinal permeability, that causes literally bacteria fragments to get into the sterile compartments of the body, trigger inflammation, and that actually triggers the insulin resistance. So it's, it's kind of a new way of thinking about how we... Um, get overweight and get insulin resistance and so forth and i think in my eyes it's it's really fascinating because then we can more custom tailor um, dietary treatments and focus on food quality
1: yeah I, I totally agree i think anytime there's a health issue we've got to look at the gut and the overall diversity of the the gut microbiome and and, and we've got to look at that and, and understand what's happening there and what role that's playing in that individual's um, health issues. And so what are some signs and symptoms that the microbiome is out of, out of order, like a dysbiosis? Maybe you can define that term too.
2: Yeah. So dysbiosis would just you know kind of characterize the imbalance of the bug. So there's like we talk about disease, dysbiosis, the biome refers to, to the bug. So there, you know, and categorically this, th- there's different ways of looking at this, the firmicutes to bacteroidetes ratio. Um, there's various pathogenic microbes and phyla and uh so so there's different ways of looking at this but what i like to look tell people or have people uh, a way to figure out if their own gut bacteria is altered is just ask some of the questions like we just talked about were you breastfed yes or no were you given antibiotics during the first several years of life yes or no were you born via c-section or vaginal delivery Uh, did you grow up near uh, or around a farm or any farm animals or did you have a pet in the home Um, have you been given proton pump inhibitors acid suppressants Uh, Have you had a history of taking ibuprofen or over the counter non steroidal anti inflammatories? All of those, if you answer yes to a lot of those, there's a high probability that your microbiome is going to be imbalanced. Also, um, your diet, your exercise, your overall lifestyle, your your life load, your stress, um, those are all going to factor in, right? So, I mean, this may be loose to say, but but if you have a health ailment, if you have autoimmunity, if you have depression, Uh, If you have hormone imbalances, you have obesity, you have diabetes, there's a, a high probability that your microbiome is imbalanced. And then, so the question becomes, what do we do about that? And, you know, it's hard to argue with a whole real food style diet, all the lifestyle modalities. And as well, I'm sure we'll talk about very soon, compressing that feeding window, adding in some element of intermittent fasting, because I think part of the reason why we have all these imbalances with blood sugar, with inflammation and so forth is you know, now we have food being exposed to us twenty four seven, three sixty five, which is really an unnatural thing. It's as it's as unnatural as I don't know watching Netflix at two in the morning, right? It, it's just one of these. Are, we humans have evolved, and unindustrialized humans live and die by the sun and by sleep wake cycles, right? Uh, predators are out at night, you know. Um, so you want to be close to your family unit, you close your villages, well. You know, turn up, go basically go to bed, right? And and you're not going to be, you know, eating out of the refrigerator or the freezer and so forth. And you know, I have backyard chickens. Just to use a small example, and you know, they're prey for turkey. They're prey prey for uh, foxes and coyotes and raccoons and all that. And in fact, a raccoon just killed one of our uh, chickens the mm. other day. But anyway, uh, as soon as the sun goes down, they stop eating and they go in the tree or they go in the coop. It's like every single night. They are so predictable um, that you know they're not. Like, as much as I live this stuff, like sometimes I have to do edit a video or edit a podcast and I'll break my sleep wake cycle a little bit, right? But like, chickens, other animals, like they can't afford to do that because if they do, yeah. they die, right? And when we break that, we don't necessarily die. We just become a little bit more insulin resistant. We have a little bit more food cravings. Our cortisol levels are off. And if we, you know, prolong that over 10, 15, 20 years, we might have an early onset of an age related disease. And so that's the thing when, when people are making lifestyle changes, sometimes we notice the immediate effects. Like if you fast for 24 hours, your mindset, you'll be more clear mentally, right? Yeah. Um, but you may not lose 50 pounds right away, right? It's going to take a lot yeah. of time. So that's the hard part about making all these lifestyle changes for people is, we want this instant gratification, but we must realize that it's the day-in, day-out habits. But anyway, going back to the sleep-wake cycles, when we start to break those, and we start to have um, dinner later, we're going out with friends, we're drinking alcohol, we're having dessert, um, we're eating at all hours, and so forth. We, you know, some people I remember in college. You know, after after parting, we'd have more food, right? Have pizza or go to Taco Bell at two in the morning, yeah. right? Uh, a lot of people would do that, and then we wonder why we gain weight. Why do Geez, the freshman 15, is it just the cafeteria food or are you eating all the time? Mm -hmm. Whereas before, when you were at home, you probably didn't. So sleep-wake cycle, circadian rhythm biology is key for our own human cells, but also our microbial partners, right? They're an organ that live on and within us and contribute to our health. And so they have the same circadian biology mechanisms and genes and enzymes and all that. They have that same machinery. All animals do. Um, I mean this was discovered in in uh, you know the basically a, a worm right and, and Drosophila um, uh, flies I mean this is how we discovered uh, the whole circadian clock system so we need to understand that and so when we're feeding our bacteria outside of a proper feeding window you we're gonna have different populations that will thrive others that will not thrive and the chances of creating a dysbiotic condition in that environment is very high and so that's where you know, if you don't want to fast for five days at a time, I totally get it, but pretty much every single human should follow some element of time-restricted feeding, compressing that feeding window. We just know that the biology is there at this point in time. And if we were to rewind the clock 200 years or go to some you know, sub-Saharan Africa and see people that are unindustrialized, they're doing that naturally anyway, and so should you.
1: So. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you look at some of the um some ancient tribes, like for example, even the Spartans. So, you know, there's this great movie 300 The Spartans had this amazing resiliency and they were known to fast through the day. Right. And then kind of feast in the evening with their family. Right. And they had this remarkable resiliency and strength and they were able to take on armies much larger than themselves. So, you know, it's something that has been known for, for centuries and our ancestors, many of them actually knew the benefits of time restricted feeding and practiced it. Um, And so, and going back to sleep, you know, an interesting thing too is I I was reading some research where melatonin, not only is that, you know, obviously our sleep hormone, but actually helps to regulate the microbiome. Have you seen anything on that?
2: Yeah. You know, um, Lynn Patrick has talked a lot about that. I interviewed her on my YouTube channel. but. You know, melatonin is also just good for blood sugar health in general. So yeah. that kind of makes sense. Um, there's some really good research on melatonin and fatty liver. Uh, and a lot of people, of course, that that get into fasting for weight loss or blood sugar regulation are, we know that our liver is this key metabolic organ. It kind of doesn't get mm-hmm. talked about a lot. Uh, but yeah, so melatonin is great. Something I recommend often. Take it myself. I think it's an amazing supplement for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, for... Eating very late at night or staying up late at night, we're going to suppress our melatonin production, right? So we want to get that really good melatonin production. So let's talk about a little bit about intermittent fasting and how it impacts the gut. I mean, you've mentioned that time-restricted feeding and 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 that role. So what have you seen out there in the research as far as how it impacts the gut? And then also, what what are some of the best practices for that? Like, what would you recommend somebody to start applying when it comes to intermittent fasting? to help improve their gut.
2: Mm, brilliant questions. Yeah, I'll definitely address those. There's one thing I wanted to mention, and it's kind of controversial in the medical uh, literature. Uh, you referred to Sparta and stuff, and you know their eating patterns, Kind of, it's kind of a, maybe a one meal a day, we could characterize it as eating yeah. more in the evening. Interesting, though, about that, and so I talk about this a lot in the book, Belly Fat Effect, is what a lot of people are doing is skipping breakfast, skipping lunch, or having kind of a, a late breakfast, a kind of a late uh, lunch, and then dinner. Um, there was an article that was a, it was uh, I think the journal the Journal of obesity medicine in two thousand and thirteen where I think it was seventy seven overweight women were character they part of the trial was to put some have like recommend a big breakfast or and then fasting all day or fasting all day then a big dinner and actually individuals lost and this is so controversial and I just think it's really interesting and it adds in this element of personalizing everything some of these women actually lost more weight had better blood sugar regulation by having the bigger breakfast so I think you know there so then we hear you know different things out there where, where people thrive skipping breakfast like I myself yeah. do thrive like that right where Whereas my wife goes out, she does like a lot of walking in the morning to kickstart her day, gets her valves moving and all that. She likes to have a breakfast afterwards because then she goes into the chiropractic clinic and if she doesn't have breakfast, she's like kind of tired, right? And started to lose that mental energy. So I think, you know, whatever we talk about right now, just remember folks, just personalize this to your diet and your lifestyle and what works for you. But yeah, uh, what are the mechanisms as to how Intermittent fasting may affect the microbiome and your gut and gut health. I, you know, there's a lot of different speculation out there, but I think it comes down to the fact that eating is just—it's literally pro-inflammatory. I mean, we need nourishment, we need food, um, but if you think about what's in your gut, it's vomit and poop. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, it sounds yeah. gross, but right, um, it's it's pro-inflammatory in a way because although our gut is kind of outside our body, right? The, the internal milieu of the lumen is outside our body. And there's a lot of fermentation products due to these microbes. They're making secondary fatty acids. I mean, we know about acetate, propionate and butyrate, the three yeah. short chain fatty acids, but there's so many other volatile organic acids. And, and those compounds affect, you know, literally the local environment uh, within our GI tract. And the other thing to keep in mind is just on the adjacent, so we have the internal lumen of a small intestine, which is majority of, in terms of length uh, of the GI tract, just on the other side of that one single cell layer, which I'll just pause, it's, it's important for people to, to recognize. Uh, many people listening right now have probably had a paper cut at some point in their life. Um, our epidermis is seven layers thick, okay, seven layers your intestinal lumen is only one cell layer thick and it needs to be that such that, I mean, if you had seven layers of intestinal cells, you would die of malnourishment, right? So we we kind of need this, we need to absorb stuff, but not too much so that we cause inflammation. So that's kind of the thing. So the, the, the way that the body gets around that is by placing a lot of what we call antigen sensing cells, toll-like receptors. These are all immune cells that are sitting there waiting. They're constantly sampling the environment, kind of like bodyguards or TSA security guards saying, okay, are you sure you don't have any guns or you know uh, liquid ounces over four ounces, Things liquids over four ounces, right? So that's what our immune system is constantly doing. And if we're constantly feeding that by eating snacking, eating all the time, the, I mean, there's only so much work that you, know, you can't work TSA agents 24-7, seven days a week. They're going to just lose their vigor, right? Your immune system is the same way. I mean, your immune system needs energy and fuel and it has its own sleep-wake cycle. So by just constantly bombarding our gut with all these, these foreign material, I mean, that's what food is. It's non-self. It's foreign material. And you're requiring your immune system to work every single time you eat, right? And so when you eat a lot of junk food. Uh, constantly, all the time, you're constantly snacking, you're just literally creating inflammation, low-grade inflammation. And at some point, your immune system might get confused between self and non-self. And that's what we call autoimmune disease. And literally, if we look at obesity, uh, obesity meets, I think it's uh, four of the five defining criteria of an autoimmune disease. I mean, mm. you look, yeah, so it's really kind of interesting talk a lot about that in the book, Belly Fat Effect. The only hallmark of of autoimmunity that obesity doesn't meet is there's no um, specific antigen that's, there. there's an immunobody, immunoglobin antibody that's made against, right? Like we don't necessarily have antibodies against our fat tissue. Um, so that's the only defining criteria of an autoimmune disease that obesity doesn't meet, which is really interesting. So. Yeah, mechanistically, I think part of it is just due to this smoldering inflammation from eating all the time, and you take that away when you compress your feeding window or when you fast. Uh, the other mechanism is related to gram-negative bacteria. So we've heard of endotoxin. Um, anyone that's a nurse or knows a doctor has heard about sepsis or septic shock. Um, Heaven forbid, you know, if you were to fall off your roof, you know, it's Halloween, maybe you're hanging Halloween stuff around your house and you fall off and you puncture your intestine, for example, you would be leaking a lot of bacteria and you would get septic shock. And it turns out that a lot of us have low-grade sepsis and we don't know it. And so when we're eating, you know, mostly a lot of fat with a lot of carbs. And that's where people get kind of confused about the keto diet because they hear, well, it's, it's high in fat. And I read this one study that showed that that causes insulin resistance. It's really in the context of high fat and high carbs together. So the analogy that I kind of use and not to invoke violence, but you know, carbohydrates kind of load the gun and fat pulls the trigger. So if you have, you have a French fries um, with a big Um, 100 grams of sugar, liquid sugar, right? That's a great way to cause this endotoxin, which is basically, it's a bacterial fragment. We all have endotoxin within our GI tract. No one doesn't have it. Um, The average human has about five grams of endotoxin in their GI tract, which is enough to kill you. I mean, if you were to porphyrate your bowel and didn't get rushed to an emergency center, you would die from endotoxin shock. So- uh, you know, your dietary choices, your exercise choices, um, your, your feeding window pattern can increase levels of this endotoxin into your bloodstream. And there was an interesting study that came out in 2012. It was a Journal of Plus One Biology that found that high endotoxin in the blood correlated with body fat percentage, visceral adiposity, triglycerides, um, and blood sugar. Okay. Again, these are all factors of the metabolic syndrome. These are all factors of diabetes prediabetes, of obesity, right Again, a lot of folks listening may be interested in fasting because they want to lose a little belly fat or they want to improve their blood sugar and so again, we now know that part of the reason that you may have gotten those diseases in the first place is due to it goes back to the gut right so that's why the impetus for improving gut health, compressing that feeding window and fasting so yeah, I think I answered your question. I know you had a third one in there um, about ways to do. So
1: there this. goes the uh, Krispy Kreme donuts, right? The fat and <laughs> carb combo, so yeah. classic in America. Yeah, I mean, I think um, yeah, I think you hit it right on there with endotoxin. That's a that's a big you know, that's a, that's a big thing that to, to talk about. And research has shown that it reduces endotoxemia. In fact, I saw something. Let's see, this was out of Journal of Neuroinflammation, 2014. This is on rats, but what they did is they, they did them on a alternative day fasting, so 24 hours every other day, and they showed a pretty significant drop in LPS activity, um, LPS-induced elevation of certain cytokines and tumor necrosis factor, alpha, all these genetic pathways that are associated with chronic inflammation, and they also showed that the intermittent fasting is there for 30 days every other day, so 15 days they fed. 15 days they fasted, so it would be like you fasting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for example, and uh, they showed a significant rise in interleukin 10, which it had an anti-inflammatory effect on mm. the body. So you know, pretty significant there. Now again, it is on rats, but uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have had similar benefits. In fact, for myself, I actually started with time restricted feeding when I was in graduate school before I knew anything about fasting. In fact, I was taking classes because I, I got a master's degree in exercise science. Uh, and I was taking classes where they were saying, well, you've got to eat six meals a day. You need to eat in the morning before you work out. And so I just noticed that I felt better. I I had struggled with irritable bowel and I noticed that I felt better when I didn't eat. And for me at the time it was not eating in the morning. Right. And I still, you know, I still practice that. Um, I would just drink a lot of water. In fact, I would bring a gallon of water with me to my classes in the morning. And I typically would work out in the morning, and, uh, I just felt so good, that I wouldn't actually get hungry until about three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then between three and six or so, I would eat a whole lot of food. I eat all my calories mm-hmm. and I was actually, I gained significant amount of strength, muscle mass. I felt the, you know, amazing. I felt incredible when I was doing this. And at the time I actually thought it was the water. I thought, well, I'm just super hydrating my body and this must be why. And now mm-hmm. with the research coming out on fasting, I, I realized why. Because at the time, you know, as as I started that, I was struggling with anxiety, with um, issues with concentration, and it was like that just went away. I felt so much better. Um, I had always struggled with uh, just challenges in maintaining muscle mass, and I didn't have that issue anymore. I was able to maintain my muscle mass easily uh, with this, and I was sleeping better than I had ever slept, right? So I I noticed that, that, I saw that improvement. It wasn't until years later that people started talking about fasting. And even the term, I even came across the term, intermittent fasting, and I was like, this is what I practice. Mm -hmm. And so it it just came intuitively to me, but it started with a gut issue. And so that's really how I got
2: started with it.
0: I just wanted to take a moment and interrupt this podcast to tell you about my new favorite health boosting tool. It's called C60 Purple Power. You guys know that I'm constantly vetting products. Everybody's sending me their products. I want to see what's really working and helping people get well. And I want to experience it for myself. And I can tell you that C60, carbon 60, is one of the most cutting edge new products on the market. It is a super antioxidant that lifts the oxidative burden at the cellular level. We know that oxidative stress and just an overload of free radicals is what rusts us and ages us from the inside. Carbon 60 basically acts like a free radical sponge that helps our body heal itself. C60 helps us fight inflammation, Boost immune function and increases our energy and mental clarity and helps us age more successfully. C60 Purple Power offers 99.9% pure sublimated carbon 60 never exposed to dangerous solvents and it's delivered in 100 certified organic oils that are made in the usa so you can get it in organic avocado oil organic extra virgin olive oil organic mct coconut oil and the mct co- coconut oil It also has some special flavors. They've got a cinnamon and an orange flavored variety that that tastes great. And what I do is I put it in my smoothies or I just take it in a teaspoon form and just one teaspoon a day really gets you results. Most users notice an increase in energy and mental clarity after just 30 days of daily use. So you should try it out and see if you notice the results. You can go to www.c60purplepower.com and use the coupon code drjockers, Dr. Jockers, all one word, use that at checkout to get 15% off your first order. Or you can go to the link c60purplepower.com forward slash Jockers. So again, if, you, if you're if you checking out, use the coupon code DRJOCKERS to get 15% off. Or if you go to the c60purplepower.com forward slash jockers, the 15% off will be automatically applied to your order. And if you're just interested in learning more about C60, it's a really new revolutionary product. You guys are going to hear a lot more about it over the next five to 10 years, but right now it's very new. And so if you're interested in learning more, go to the c sixty Purple Power on YouTube. go to their channel and you can learn a lot more about it. and if you're interested in trying the products, remember the coupon code Dr. Jockers, for fifteen percent off your first order. So try that out today and be blessed.
1: And so I know you were talking about some people do better eating eating breakfast in the morning. so how would you what would be some guidelines that you would give somebody when it comes to, let's say they have a gut issue, irritable bowel, um, autoimmune disease, or something like that that we've talked about, maybe acid reflux. What would be some guidelines that you would want to give with somebody when it comes to time-restricted feeding? And you can also include you know, other lifestyle habits like you know, really prioritizing sleep, exercise, things like that.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think it comes down to um, your goals, right? For a lot of people... Um, if, if weight loss is your goal, fat loss is your goal. We know that from the circadian ry- rhythm, circadian biology research that we tend to burn more fat in the morning. Um, actually it's while we're sleeping, uh, we tend to burn a lot of fat. Actually, our mitochondria are really active at night while we're sleeping and fatty acid oxidation increases. And we now know that people that, uh, you know, do shift work, uh, people that don't get good sleep, people that have sleep apnea tend to gain weight, right? Well, that makes sense because if you're, you're not taking advantage of this time during the day when you're burning the most fat. While you're sleeping, then you're going to gain weight. So interestingly, so what I would say to people is, uh, uh, again, if you're exercising in the morning, fat loss is your goal, then just try to do the the one meal a day, or kind of like like backload your calories, like you were saying, Doctor Trakkers, mm. yeah, uh, in the afternoon, right? Uh, for people with kids and you have a family, it makes sense. Like you want to be able to dine with your family, and so um, that's what I generally try to do. But if I, if like for me personally, uh, I do generally like to have breakfast. If I'm working out that day, I just find that like I have a better workout. That's just me. I don't know why. Um, I've tried doing the workouts fasted and I just don't have the same energy. So I do more powerlifting type movements and everything along those lines. So that's just my personal approach. Um, I just have a small little side story on that. It was, so I'm doing a powerlifting competition this Sunday and like a couple of weeks ago, like 10 days before the event you want to try and figure out what your max is where you start because you have three tries to do a squat then a deadlift then a, a bench and i was i was fasted just had like my bulletproof coffee with a little butter a little mct oil and my squat was like at 250 normally i can get close to 300 i'm like what the heck is going on so I just went and um, because I was pretty much very in a low state, just MC2 a little Mm -hmm. bit of butter, um, went and got an apple, came back and then hit like 280, and I was like, Hmm. man, I just that context is important. Like we we get into this state where carbs are bad, fats are always good, but like when you're doing something that requires like like, glycolytic breakdown, you know, and stuff like that, and powerlifting, so. I think it comes down to people need to figure out what it is is their goal. You know, don't just jump onto it because it's popular. Fasting's popular. Keto's popular. Okay, cool. But why are you doing it? And what is the goal that you're trying to seek? And so weight loss is your goal. You can backload your calories. If you have kids, backload your calories. You can have, there's nothing better for a child than to everyone sitting around a dinner table. I know you have a routine where you talk about being grateful and things along yeah. those lines. Like That is key for uh, instilling good eating habits, right? So that's what I would suggest. Um, But again, you can just try certain things like alternate day fasting, like you referred to. That's very popular. I've ran into several practitioners who all they tell people to do is just fast during the daytime. So say starting Sunday night at 5 p.m., have your last meal with your family, have an early Sunday dinner, fast Monday until 5 p.m., eat normally as you would Tuesday, do the same thing on Wednesday fasting. So you cut off early at say six on Tuesday, don't eat again until six on Wednesday normal eating Thursday, Friday, you're fasting until dinner. So just something simple like that can just kickstart things in the right direction. And people feel like, I mean, we don't realize how much time we spend thinking about food, Mm -hmm. cooking food, preparing food, prepping food. I mean, it can become a total pain in the butt. So uh, and a lot of us say, well, I don't have time to exercise because I'm just so busy. Well, if you can take out an hour and a half or two hours of the day, you don't have to worry about prepping food. Maybe you can squeeze in that exercise on that day. Right. So that's what I would suggest is. getting specific about what your goals are and trying to figure things out um, and really be science-based about it. So use things like the Aura Ring, which is here, it tracks heart rate variability, tracks sleep, Um, go out and just go to Walgreens or Rhinoid or a local drugstore, get a glucometer, test your glucose, see how your blood sugar is during the days, but maybe you eat breakfast and skip dinner versus if you skip breakfast and eat dinner so that you know what's gonna work for your own biology. So that's what I would suggest to people, and I know people just wanna know the protocol. Tell me what to do, but it's not what works for me may not work for you. What works for you may not work for me, right? So that's what I would suggest, but um, I, I think having interviewed a lot of different people, Um, having read tens of thousands of comments on my YouTube channel, I'd say the majority of people do better by skipping breakfast and kind of backloading their calories as you suggested. And I think if there's the smaller percentage of people tend to do better with breakfast and skipping, because the thing is, once you start eating in the morning, you have breakfast and you're like, well, eh, I already ate anyway, so I'm going to have lunch and then I'm going to have dinner and then a snack. And it creates this kind of, you just end up consuming a lot more calories and, and so on. Whereas, if you just say, "Look, I'm not going to have any food until 3 p.m.," or "I'm just going to fast until dinner," that's it. That's all you. That's the only decision you have to make. So it almost becomes easier to do that backloading method. So, yeah, it's really personalized, but it, but it, you can't go wrong with starting there. or doing the alternate day fasting. There's a lot of great research on that as well. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And I find that it's it's a little easier socially for people to do more of the carb backloading. Cause typically in our society, lunch and dinner t- tend to be more of your social uh, meals as opposed to breakfast. And it's hard when it's you're in a social setting to miss the meal. Um, personally, I actually uh, fast through dinner two to three times a week, but at the same time, it's actually helpful. Like my wife actually likes it when I'm fasting. Cause I'm like helping my kids out more. <laughs> I'm just focused on my kids. And once you, because, once you create a habit around this, like for example, on Wednesdays, I typically eat lunch. I just find that eating lunch, I feel better in the afternoon, I'm more productive as opposed to if I fast through that period of time, I just don't feel as productive. And then I sleep significantly better that night as opposed to if I fasted till dinner. That's, that's what I have found actually for myself. But also at, at the same time, I've been doing this for a while. So where My wife might make a great dinner and I'm, I'm there helping feed my kids and I'm smelling it and it smells good. And part of me is like, this smells good. I'd like to have some, but the other part of me, like the deeper part of me is like, no, I I will not, I will, you know, it's like, I just know how good I'm going to feel by fasting here. So I'm absolutely going to fast, you know, and it's a stronger sense because I've been doing this for a while and I just, I know the benefits of it. I know how energy efficient, how mentally clear I feel. Uh, when I'm practicing this on a weekly basis. So, uh, so a lot of intuition, you know, playing around with it, and just following your intuition. I think that's a big thing that, that you're you're getting across here. Now, as far as because a lot of people work late at night, you know, they might work till let's say seven or eight o'clock, right, come home and eat dinner. So if somebody could control their environment, when, when would you say would be the last time they should eat? Like what would be the cutoff time to then get a really good, highly effective sleep?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think it, give yourself at least three hours before mm-hmm. bedtime. Yeah. Um, and so that's a tough thing. I mean, if you do, I know a lot of people do work late, and I totally understand that. I mean, if you're, if you're in the restaurant business, various business, uh, social businesses, and my wife sometimes at the chiropractic clinic will stay and see patients till seven, eight o'clock at yeah. night. So on those days, you know, she'll bring food in with her and try to eat mm-hmm. at like five. Because yeah. as you just alluded to, and studies, multiple studies show this: the timing of food. If you, when you go to bed on a full stomach, first of all, your gut, just like oh, we talked about, our body and our our microbes have this internal circadian clock. Our gut has its own circadian clock. And it turns out that, that motility, pancreatic lipase release, bile release you know, stomach acid release, all these factors needed to digest and absorb food tend to decline as the day goes on. Um, so they kind of peak around 4 or 5 p.m. and then we'll peter out. And of course, everyone's circadian rhythm is slightly different, but uh, your gut is not super active at night. And so Late night eating is linked with dysbiosis, the imbalance of the gut bugs that we're talking about. You know, just try to eat during the daylight hours, if anything else. If you're confused about where to start and you're like, I don't know, I love my breakfast. Okay, fine. Just eat during the daylight hours. And so when the sun starts petering down and and the evening is coming on, you should probably have your last meal. And don't make it a huge one uh, because, you know, there's nothing that can throw off your sleep more than having a big meal and you're grumbling and and that creates maldigestion and other gut issues and motility issues and constipation. And it's just, it's a lot to deal with. So that can be just a super simple thing is just eat when the sun's out, don't eat when it's not.
1: Yeah. I love that. It's a great recommendation. What I'll tell people is, you know, especially when you're trying to time out your eating window and your fasting window. So say you want to do like a 16 eight or something like that, where you're fasting for 16 hours if you're somebody that does work in evening job, then you might be the right type of person to eat breakfast, right? Breakfast and lunch, and then just fast, you know, in the afternoon, evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really helpful. Take a nice, have a nice, your largest meal, maybe around lunch, take a nice siesta, and then go into work afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. rest a little bit, allow your body to digest it well, and then, you know, go into work. And what you'll find is that like for the first day or two, you kind of miss that dinner, But your body adapts. That's the amazing thing. Your body, like, we don't like change, but actually, our body gets better with change. And so Mm -hmm. we adapt just like exercise. You know, the first time you go in and work out, you're going to be really sore. You're going to be really tired. You're going to think exercise is terrible, but actually, you get stronger through it. And so it's the same thing with fasting. So if you do work that evening job, you're like, well, how do I do this? Um, You know, I get home at nine, 10 o'clock at night. I need to have something. I would say, you know, kind of the first like baby step might be instead of having a big solid food meal, maybe have a protein shake or something like that, like something easy on the digestive system. And then I would say second step would be just fast, you know, just fast, maybe have some herbal tea or something like that. And, um, you know, eat breakfast and lunch as your meals and have that as part of your fasting window. What do you think about that? Mike?
2: I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to this customization and um, like you said, I mean, you know, a lot of people and I like this that people follow the gurus and do exactly what the gurus do. But again, unless you have that same exact lifestyle, biochemistry, microbiome diversity, it's not going to work for you. So just to totally feel free to customize. And you know, most people that are successful with any diet or really anything in life, any business, any right. exercise program, they're breaking the rules a little bit. Right. Um, yeah, there was a study, I mean, not to deviate the topic too much, but it was in elderly individuals at nursing homes and the, the people, the, the people that broke the rules and like would, you know, do different things, like, you know, play cards when they shouldn't live longer. Right. And so it's kind of interesting that like, <laughs> get in, yeah. So it, we, we want to follow everything to a T and I see this yeah. a lot with moms, with women, they want to do everything right. And everything's so perfect And just tell me exactly what to do, but just have the mindset that you need to, like deviate a little bit because it's a little bit different. And just remember that study in elderly individuals. When I read that, I was like, that's so funny. Cause that was like my grandfather. He was always like doing things that he shouldn't have been doing, lived a long great life and everything along those lines. And so you don't have to break the law, just, you don't have to follow the rules to a T, feel free to customize. But going back a little bit to the mechanism, just want to highlight one thing you, you hit on that, um, anti-inflammatory interleukin, interleukin mm. 10. Yeah. You hear about cytokines and interleukins. They think they're all bad, but uh, interleukin-10 is anti-inflammatory. It's you It know, uh, can really affect uh, the onset of, say, autoimmunity and allergies. It's a, it's a good thing we want to have that to keep our immune system in a tolerogenic type state. And there were some studies showing that time-restricted feeding and intermittent fasting in humans increased uh, acrimensia mucinophilia, hmm. and that's a type of genus and species of bacteria that degrades mucin that we want. Uh, and then also fecobacterium. Presnitzia. It's kind of a big tongue twister, but fasting increases those two bugs, and those bugs also increase IL-10. So just wanted to let people know that, that we are kind of figuring out some of the mechanisms there. You know, endotoxin, like we talked about, is probably a big factor, but also the change in the, the gut bugs and their associated changes in interleukins and cytokines um, is part of the mechanism as well. So people have heard about biofilms and Things along those lines where bugs can live in these biofilms and kind of create this layer that's impenetrable by our immune system. And so, this acromensia mucinophilia degrades that mucin. So, we don't have so much mucus and film and gut and yuckiness. So, um, when you fast for a long period of time, the way that that bug literally survives is by degrading this mucus. So, you you have a natural way to kind of degrade biofilms uh, within your intestine, which is pretty cool.
1: That is really cool. And when I had my microbiome studied here with what was it, uh, uBiome, actually, I actually had a lot of that particular bacteria in my system. Nice. So, and it's something I practice, obviously, intermittent fasting. So, uh, you know, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, I also sent over that study that, uh, what was that, Cell Metabolism 2018 study, that was interesting as well, totally. where, um, you know, they showed that, stu- that, that intermittent fasting led to an increase in your lactobacilli, your bacterioity, the Prevotella species, right, and they mm-hmm. increase their anabolic or their antioxidant metabolic pathways, right. So reduced overall oxidative stress throughout the gut. And so I always think about it like just weeding a garden. You know, it's like if we constantly eat, well, in a sense, we're just constantly feeding the garden, but we're not actually weeding it, right? So everything grows, good and bad. When we fast, it's like we're going in and we're pulling out the weeds, right, which are kind of these opportunistic plants that grow and steal nutrients from the things we want to grow so we're going and we're weeding it out and we're kind of customizing our garden and that's what time-restricted feeding and even doing you know a prolonged fast from period of, for from time to time can do for our system is just weed out the garden
2: mm, it's a brilliant point point. and folks at cedar sinai and ucla that are working with SIBO small intestinal bacteria overgrowth i mean they frequently recommend a elemental diet, which is basically amino acids, and that's about it, right? And some proteins um, to help to basically just starve out these bugs. And so a lot of people... Coming into this, you know, summit, and you know, have heard about autophagy, you know, what uh, process that where our cells can kind of engulf other parts that may not be as functional or defective. We know of mitophagy, where our mitochondria actually get engulfed, you know, our defective mitochondria, for example. And and now we can think about fasting as a strategy to really kind of get rid of bugs that don't need to be there, and those bugs are probably more susceptible to being degraded, uh, the pathogenic bugs, if if they don't have the environment or the milieu that fosters their growth. And it's most oftentimes that is carbohydrate-based foods and sugars and so forth. So um, by just getting rid of all food for a while and doing a periodic, like I don't know about you, but long-term fasting, I do like once a quarter, I'll do at least three days. Um, And I find like, you know, it, it's it's a great way to just check in and realize like, wow, I'm craving food, but I'm not even hungry. I'm just craving food because I'm lonely or I just want food because there's some emotional trigger or something, or it's just the habit, right? You realize that you go into your house and a lot of people just, I, I was going and grabbing pecans and Brazil nuts every time I came in the house. It was like, well, no wonder I'm like, it's just, you know, there's yeah. all these emotional triggers and different things. And so I think structuring in some prolonged fasting. Obviously there's tons of health benefits that we know about physiologically, but on the emotional side, just being more aware of like what's triggering you to crave foods. And some, some people will comment in on my YouTube channel and say, Hey Mike, I just have these food cravings. I can't do keto. And I'm like, well, I just crave carbohydrates. And And I write back, well, you know, is it that, is it like a low blood sugar thing? Or is it this emotional connection where it's this habit or maybe uh, you know, eating maybe you and your father, or you and your mother, or whatever, and maybe they're not here anymore. You would go out and have mangoes, and so you're craving those mangoes because mm-hmm. you're missing someone. There's so much more about our food choices than just like the macronutrients and so on. And so I think fasting uh, and, and even just a 24 hour fast, or compressing your feeding window, helps you kind of be more aware of these. Um, emotional triggers to food that we have and ideas around food. Um, And it helps us to overcome that so that we can achieve a stable, consistent body weight and long-term health.
1: Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I think most of us, we get a hit, you know, we get a a dopamine hit. Dopamine is this feel good neurotransmitter. When we eat, it naturally stimulates that, which is a great thing. It kind of drives us to want to eat on a regular basis, which is necessary for survival of humanity. But like you, you started this interview, you were talking about, hey, we've got food everywhere. You know, it's like I've got enough food in my house to last my family a week, at least, if not more, right? And we can literally eat around the clock uh, because of how much food we have. Our ancestors didn't really have access to that. So when they did get food and they had to work hard for it, they would get this natural feel-good mechanism uh, that would reward them. For, for eating and reward them neurologically. And so kind of like, you know, sugar, cocaine, things like that, any, any sort of addictive uh, mechanism. So it's very easy to get addicted to food. This is all around us, it's, um, it's accepted. You know, it's, it's, whereas like, you know, smoking, doing illegal drugs, things like that, that's not socially accepted in most circles. Um, whereas this is, right? And people don't necessarily know the risks, especially if they aren't obese, you know, they don't know the risks of you know, continually eating and eating all the time and, and stoking these, uh, these feel good addictive neurotransmitters. And so, when we take some time without stimulating those, it really helps reset our brain. It's one of the best things you can do for resetting your neurotransmitters, resetting your senses. And you're absolutely right. Like doing like a periodic three, maybe five day fast, something along those lines. Uh, Is such a powerful reset for that, and I'm with you. I do it pretty much every quarter, if not twice a year. I just did one about a month ago, uh, four day fast. You believe this, Mike? Um, Four day fast, and on the fourth day, like I was going to go five days, but the afternoon on the fourth day, I felt so good and so energized, it was like I've got to go lift weights. Like my body was just saying, I need to lift weights, right? Because I didn't, I didn't work out, you know, during that period of time, and I went in. Four days fully fasted. Like I started fasting on Sunday, it was Thursday, um, and I was just as strong. I was going to take it easy, but I just felt so good. I was just as strong as you know when I'm when I'm fed, right? That's I felt awesome. so amazing. And I wasn't even hungry afterwards. Now I did break it with a protein shake afterwards, but uh, but I wasn't even hungry. And, and you know, it was in a sense like I, I I always compare fasting to exercise. You start to build your fasting muscle, right? As you do this. Um, as you experiment with this, and it might start with a 12-hour, you know, fast between your last meal and your first meal, and then you might bump it up to 14, and then 16, and then possibly, you know, 18, or even doing something like an every other day fast. You know, you got to find what what works for your schedule and intuitively what you feel like your body is needing. Like, for example, I was going to go five days because I'm like, oh, fifth day is when I get the massive stem cell increase, but my body was saying, no, I want to lift weights now. And I want to break the fast later. And so I just listened to the body. I didn't need yeah. to get, you know, I'm sure I probably got a significant amount of stem cell release and it was enough for me. And so, but anyways, with that said, you got to listen to your body. And as you start to practice this, you'll get more and more intelligent and stronger with it where, you know, a, a two, three, four day fast won't be as intimidating because it's something that just built in a part of your lifestyle. And you'll actually crave the benefits that come with it. The, the renewed clarity, mental the, the mental, uh, clarity that you get the freshness. Um, I know after I did that for like a month, I felt so fresh mm. and like I was recovering from exercise so much better. And my sleep was, was deeper and it was like, it was prolonged, uh, after doing that. And that's why I do periodically, typically every three to four months, I'm doing an extended fast. Um, along with the intermittent fasting strategies. So with that said, Mike, um, this has been a great interview, uh, just such great content. Any final words of inspiration for people uh, that are listening? And then also where can people find out more about you?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, I guess to finish off on this exercise uh, conversation, I think it's important to um, you know, fasting is a wonderful tool, but exercise too, also increases yes. autophagy and mitophagy and yes. all, you know, all these mechanisms that we've been mm. kind of talking about linked to fasting. Um, exercise does affect bacterial diversity. And just as if we haven't mentioned it yet, diversity in your microbiome translate in translates into stability. So the ecosystem is just stronger, can withstand more, uh, ups and downs and ebbs and flows, which is a good thing. So, um, I I love exercise. Fasted exercise can be great too. Um, But yeah, I see some people they don't exercise because they're doing so much fasting. And I, I think that's, again, we want to balance things out a little yeah. bit. And so exercise can be a wonderful modality. So don't forget that. There's a ton of research on that. And interestingly, some of the adaptations that occur from exercise, like muscle hypertrophy, and losing body fat and all that, is autophagy-driven. And so yeah. it's, like, it's interesting how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just want to finish off on that exercise as a lifestyle modality is key. You know, tracking your sleep. Everyone should go out, and if they don't have a glucometer, go out and get one. Uh, obviously, you know, ketometers can be great. I know you love the Ketonic breath meter and so forth. Yeah. There's a lot of great tools, but you know, starting out with just inexpensive, looking at your blood glucose, looking at your sleep wake cycles, um, can be can be wonderful. So that that those are kind of the final. Um, words of advice. If folks are interested in connecting with me, I would love to connect with you. Pretty active on Instagram at metabolic underscore Mike, or if you just type in Mike Mutzel, you will see my handle and on YouTube as well. And the the channel is High Intensity Health. So It's
1: great, Mike. Yeah, definitely check out his YouTube and uh, podcast as well. Some really, really great interviews, including myself, right? So we, we did a few interviews on there. Um, but yeah, great great input, and I, I love the you know talking about exercise, and you know that's another another thing we've talked a little bit about in this summit is just fasted exercise. And I know you said for you it doesn't work great, but I know for myself I try to get exercise at the peak of my fast. I just feel so good there, and I'm stimulating even more autophagy when I do that. So like if I eat you know dinner for example, like last night I ate dinner, uh, finished about six o'clock. And then today I worked out, it was about 1230, right? And then I broke my fast after that. And so that's typically, I just feel so good, so mentally refreshed uh, when I do that. So find, find the strategies that work best for you. Uh, Mike, again, thanks for the, the phenomenal interview. That was awesome. And for those of you guys that are out there, want sort to of remind you that fasting, we've been talking about this throughout the summit, it can unlock the dormant healing potential within you. It's safe, it's powerful, and it just might transform your life. So give it a shot. And if you've been enjoying the interviews in this summit, then I want to encourage you to consider owning the entire fasting transformation summit for yourself. That way you get access to the MP3s so you can listen to this while you're working out, like Mike was talking about, right? While you're out taking a walk. Um, You can also you'll have the transcripts, you can read through those. You'll have all the bonuses, everything for a lifetime. And I find this particularly helpful if you are starting a fast, especially an extended fast actually be listening to interviews of people talking about the benefits of fasting. Fasting at times can be lonely, especially if you're doing it, you're the only one in your family, but listening to experts like like uh, I'm interviewing in this summit can be so helpful and so refreshing and just make you feel like a superhero while you're going through the fast and encourage you to, to, uh, to follow through. So if you would consider owning this for yourself, we'd be so honored and I know it'll give you a lot of value. So we'll see you guys on a future interview. Be blessed, everybody.